Yeah, no, no stress. Actually, um, <laughs> live from Kenosha, <laughs> it's Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's that, that's a, that's the kind of vibe I'm going for. and welcome to another episode of A Corner of the River, a podcast for sharing questions and longings and finding thin spaces where eternity and God's presence seem closer. Uh, today is a very special episode, uh, just the fifth episode of the podcast, but actually the first with uh, a live guest or guest of any kind for that matter. And not only that, uh, he is my brother, Josh DeVries. So Josh, welcome. Thank you for joining me in this uh, momentous occasion. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I won't, I won't say how much I bribed you to get you on. <laughs> um, so Josh is my younger brother by about eight years. Um, and we are both originally from the Chicagoland area and moved to Holland, Europe as missionary kids. I was 11, Josh was three. And um, I'll let Josh share a little bit about himself and then I can probably tag on a few things as well. And then we're gonna get going on a discussion, uh, actually a series of discussions about the problem of evil. Um, yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, I, uh, like, like you just said, I'm um, your younger brother by about eight years. Um, I live in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, and um, uh, went to Liberty, where I'm uh, Liberty University here, where I met my wife, Micah. Uh, we have three young kids now, and um, we shoot wedding films. Um, hoping to get out of that at some point, but that's uh, that's what we do to make a living. And um, yeah, we're uh, in the Anglican Church. Um, have been practicing Anglicans for about. Um, uh, I don't know, a little over 11 years at this point. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I should add that um, you're a very talented um, uh, creative and videographer. Uh, the wedding uh, films that you do um, for your clients are, are wonderful. Um, and you have a great mind for storytelling and um, just the creative uh, process or the imaginative process, uh, which I've always respected. Um, and as you've mentioned, uh, you uh, being in the Anglican tradition, the sort of the conservative um, end of that spectrum, uh, but myself coming from kind of the more, much more loose, uh, non-denominational evangelical. Um, and we, we've had some, some great conversations, interesting conversations through the years and I'm sure more to come. And that might even be something worth exploring, um, you know, down the road and some conversations for the podcast as well. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for, uh, joining. And, uh, so the, the problem of evil, um, is a question that I don't know that's been on my mind all personally, all that prominently, um, or severely, 
in the last few years. Obviously, I've been affected at different times by my own pain or struggle um, or that of you know, friends or family or things I've heard about in the world. But it, it hadn't really morphed into sort of a pressing question, as it were, unlike maybe previous times in my life. And I've mentioned in the earlier, earlier episodes of the podcast that the crisis in Ukraine prompted by the Russian invasion has um, really been a source of that source of struggle for me to wrap my mind around that and to process it uh, personally. And as a believer, it hasn't thankfully prompted a full on crisis of faith like it might have in previous seasons of my life, but it definitely has risen more to the surface. And I had been wanting to uh, read C.S. Lewis's A Problem of Pain. Uh, for a little while now, I'd been on kind of a Lewis kick a couple of years ago and trying to uh, gradually work my way through some of his, his books, many of his books. And this was on my list, and I thought this is a good time to pull it out. And I started it, got a few chapters in, and then um, set aside for a little bit, but thought this would be a great thing to just discuss uh, with someone else. And Josh was kind enough to join me. Um, so we will be using the problem of pain as kind of a discussion prompter for uh, the next several episodes. Definitely approaching the question um, of the problem of evil or the problem of pain, as Lewis describes it. Uh, through the Christian lens and um, the sort of orthodox confessional Christian lens. and uh, But I do hope to bring in some other references as well uh, from other you know, things I come across or that Josh comes across. Uh, I've kind of rambled on a lot here right at the beginning. I'll let Josh get a word in edgewise, but uh, some of the discussion will be more theoretical, kind of like parts of Lewis's book certainly are. But then there will certainly be other parts of the conversation that are much more personal or, or gut level, um, trying to describe you know, how it's affecting us and and, and 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 others at a personal level. And uh, Josh and I always love to laugh when we're together talking, love good humor. Um, and uh, so hopefully we'll bring in uh, some light moments along the way. Uh, if you hear that, it's not uh, intended remotely as any sort of disrespect to the subject matter or to people who are struggling with with evil or suffering or pain or hurt of their own, uh, but just to just bring some levity uh, to a very, very heavy uh, subject. Uh, any thoughts on that, Josh, before we kind of go on to start looking at what the problem of evil actually is? Oh, no, it, it sounds good. And um I mean, I, I guess I'm, I am curious, you know, having listened um, to the last several episodes um, of your podcast, I'm, I'm curious to find out um, at, at some point what it was specifically, what it has been about uh, the Ukraine situation that you feel um, has kind of brought, brought um, something else out in you. Um, maybe that's a question that will be answered down the road. Um, but, you know, we, we encounter grief and tragedy, maybe not to this scale. Um, 
but we encounter it um, in the news um, quite often. And so, um, yeah, that's just something uh, I've been wondering about, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you. I remember you asked me that um, over the phone um, a few weeks back. And actually that was something my wife, Cheryl, asked me a little bit different slant, but some of the same question is uh, with what is it about this situation that's really gotten at you so uh, significantly? Um, and in some respects, that's kind of, there's easy ways to answer that. In other respects, I'm, I'm not quite sure. And um, I, I, I definitely do want to um, try to answer that a little better. Uh, so thank you for that prompt. Um, if I could just table that for just a couple minutes, um, I think we'll um, just try to kind of level set and define sort of the, I guess, the philosophical or theological definition of evil. And then that will be one of the first things that I'll come to personally and trying to explain why it sort of triggers me so much, especially right now. So so thank mm -hmm. you for that, for sure. Um. So uh, I was looking for a quick definition online yesterday and the Encyclopedia Britannica online defines the problem of evil as a problem in theology and the philosophy of religion that arises for any view that affirms the following three propositions. God is almighty. God is perfectly good and evil exists. And I'll share a link to that uh, definition and that, that article, encyclopedia article that they have in the uh, episode notes for sure. And they also included a quote from Epicurus. I guess it was quoted by the philosopher David Hume in the late uh, 18th century. And the quote from Epicurus is God, uh, in brackets, uh, that's who he's referring to, is God willing to prevent evil? but not able, then he is impotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then is he malevolent? Then basically he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Whence then is evil? I just realized that language is a little, little archaic. Uh, so let me just say that one more time and then maybe we can kind of discuss that just a little bit. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then is he impotent, basically unable, unable to prevent evil. Is God able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent, essentially evil himself. Is he both able and willing? Whence then is evil? Then how in the world do we explain evil? Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of just the, the nuts and bolts of this question. How can an omnipotent, all-powerful God, who at the same time is all-loving, all-good, as the Christian uh, tradition affirms both of those um, truths about God, then how can he allow evil? Uh, that's kind of the way I think of the mm -hmm. question. So it struck me reading something I wrote almost 20 years ago now, sometimes we wrestle with different parts of that. 
uh, or different, uh, maybe different parts of the Christian tradition uh, might wrestle different nuances of this. Um, but there are times in our life when we might struggle more with understanding. There are other times, uh, and I'll come back to this when we touch on some personal experience with uh, the problem of pain or the problem of evil, times when we might personally question God's goodness, you know, more than others with how he seems to be treating us or treating other people or treating world events. Um, and then sometimes, you know, just the, the reality of, of evil or, or, or hurt or suffering just you know, actually kind of blindsides. It's kind of like you mentioned, the Ukraine situation seems to have done for me. So those are all three. Um, but more often than not, those are all three statements. All three of those are statements that we as Christians typically affirm. You know, evil is real. God is all powerful and sovereign. God is loving and good. Mm-hmm. So maybe it isn't quite as clear cut if we're sort of wrestling with different parts of that more so than others. Um, it, but yeah, it is a good concise sort of way to sum up the the question in general. If, if God is all powerful, kind of like Epicurus was getting at, uh, then why in the world wouldn't he do more to stop evil? Um, you know, if, if he's, if he's not all powerful, that's one thing. In fact, I think there's a famous uh, book by a Jewish theologian or philosopher who basically said, and I'll try to track that down a little better for down the road, but basically God is not able to prevent suffering or all suffering. So that's one way out of this dilemma uh, from, you know, a, a uh, even a, a religious perspective, a Jewish perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, or even certain Christians might say, Hey, I just, I think God can't, he has limits to what he can do. Uh, again, not really the Orthodox, uh, confessional Christian perspective, but, and then others might say God isn't, you know, he's good, but he's not good all the time or he's not loving all the time. So that might explain it. Mm. Um, well, my first reaction to the Epicurus quote um, is that God is able and he is willing to prevent evil. And I don't just, I'm not just saying that from uh, as an Orthodox Christian statement. Um, I think he is able and, and willing, except then you run into the problem of free will. And so really the underlying, the underlying statement that is underneath that question to me seems to be that God should not have allowed man to have free will. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's a major question for discussion. Um, even within say the evangelical tradition, perhaps, uh, extending beyond that is where, where do we come down on God's sovereignty uh, in contrast or in cooperation with human free will and even creation free will or, or demonic angelic free will and different uh, traditions, different uh, Christians land at different ends of that spectrum and, and everywhere in between. 
So you're thinking that some of our focus when trying to answer this question is, is like, why did God allow free will? Did, uh, or just to kind of pinpoint that as a real, maybe the biggest source of the, of the problem of evil to begin with? Well, I think so. I, I think um, to object to the possibility of humans being able to exercise evil is really to um, to object to the whole idea that 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 we should have free will, that God should have allowed us um, to make decisions for ourselves. Um, and this this goes all the way, obviously, back to um, Genesis two and three. Um, and you know, there, there's a reason why the forbidden tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, with it came both an understanding of what good is and then, and also what evil is um, on the other end of the spectrum. And before that knowledge, um, you, you, you might even say that as humans, we didn't really have the capacity to recognize either one. Um, but to allow, to allow for God, to allow his subjects, his people, his creatures, um, to have free will is, is to allow them to move away from him, um, if they want to. And so it's not, we can still say that God is able uh, to prevent evil and we can still say that he is willing to prevent evil, but there's something that's more important to him than that obviously, which is that, um, he gives us the choice or at the very least we've taken the choice for ourselves and, and history has followed, um, since then. And so in humans and in our experience, we experience, you know, the, the vast ends of sometimes the vast ends of that spectrum. Um, we can experience great, great good at the hands of God. Um, and alternately, we, we also can run into the experience of terrible evil and malevolence uh, where God is absent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you said that really well. And honestly, that's where I tend to land these days. Uh, both theoretically and even with respect to this Ukrainian crisis, uh, following that from a distance, um, is is what they call the free will theodicy or the free will defense. Uh, theodicy being, uh, I'm not sure if this is exact definition, but basically uh, the way of resolving the problem of evil in a theological manner. Uh, so the free will defense is one of the leading candidates out there for that and, and definitely has the most merit in my, in my book. Um, I think you said that uh, really well. You mentioned the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, that, that's an interesting. I'm not sure I have the, the biblical or theological wherewithal to kind of flesh that out completely, but you would have thought that God would, well, free will itself seems to be uh, a great human value. 
for ourselves and for God, uh, it, it's it's what enables us to choose to relate to God rather than be forced to. Uh, if you were to think of being a bachelor and wanting to marry someone and share a life with someone, you know, you might be immature and, and have um, some screws loose and think, hey, I, I can just just pick someone who's basically forced to fall in love with me and will be happily ever after. Uh, but you know, what's, what's much more intimate appealing and, and definitely intimate is for someone to choose to relate to you and to love you and to continue to choose that. Um, that's a much more mutual and fulfilling relationship ultimately and so that value of human free will seems uh, to have a lot of merit. Seems like that's something that God would have intended for us all along. But it is interesting how the the Genesis uh, narrative describes that as something that came only after Eve had sinned and uh, Adam had had sinned along with her. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, I'm not sure I have anything more spectacular to, to add about that, but that is an interesting timeline there. Because in some sense, you would think God would have wanted us to know the difference between good and evil. Maybe we just really had no no reason to know what evil was or to really be all that concerned about it until until the fall itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think you put that that well. You asked me earlier uh, what what about the Ukraine situation was hitting me hard, um, and I've been tracking it very closely now for the just over a couple months since uh, Russia launched its unwarranted invasion or aggression of choice, you know, as some people have called it. Um, I've mentioned to. Uh, to a couple people that I think I was kind of tracking as the buildup of Russia around Ukraine, at least three borders of Ukraine. And really hoping, you know, praying that they would not uh, ultimately move, move ahead with it. But I'm sure the, the dread was kind of building consciously or subconsciously that they would. And the prevailing wisdom at the time is that they would basically steamroll over Ukraine, if they did, they'd, they'd get to the capital and they'd mm. commit all types of atrocities against civilians, you know, in the thousands, tens of thousands. They did, they had a hit list of people they wanted to kill. Um, and basically, you know, that they would just take over the country by and large. And uh, the rest of the world would largely stand by and let it happen uh, for political and, and reasons wanting to avoid, you know, World War Three and all of that. And, um, so I think the buildup was part of that for me. And then when it, when they actually, the invasion actually launched with some of the initial missile strikes, I have mentioned on the podcast, even that I got in my car and, you know, drove a few minutes away from the house. It was a night here and, and just, just kind of started, you know, screaming my head off in the car and, and, you know, prayer, very visceral prayer to God saying, you know, how could this happen? Uh, you know, what are you going to do about it? That kind of stuff. Um, and ha- maybe having lived in Europe um, 
and in all honesty, these are these are people that are very much like like you and me and our background and our cultural background, and that's very natural, you know, to think of uh, to some degree Western or I don't know mid Midwestern, Mid Eastern Europeans, um, you know, to to think of them as to be to be concerned for them uh they they seem very much like like ourselves uh but at the same time there's some uh reservation there to say hey why why am i not always gripped as profoundly by the the suffering or war in in africa or or uh, the middle east or things like that and there have been times when i have been like with when isis was kind of wreaking havoc in the middle east and uh you know, killing civilians and endangering Christians where, where I was concerned about that on, on some level and, but not, not as comprehensively as, as this. And then as I began to follow, you know, the war more closely through Twitter channels and things like that, Twitter feeds, um, there have just been aspects of it that, that, uh, just have been absolutely appalling to hear about. It's, (laughs) I've mentioned previously about the the little boy they pulled out of the rubble, the video that just popped up in my feed out of nowhere one night. Since then, I've seen even worse, and I've alluded to that, uh, some of that as well briefly. Just absolutely horrific uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity, just absolutely barbaric activity. I mean, shelling people and and killing people through through bombing and missiles uh, in the hundreds and thousands is is brutal enough when there's absolutely zero, zero basis for it. And they're, they're, they're not, not even military targets as if, you know, Russia had a, had any right to invade a sovereign nation to begin with. So there's an anger that comes with that. Just the, um, the sheer arrogance and selfishness and idiocy of, of, of them thinking they could do that and get away with that and just take something, take an entire country that belongs to a, a free people. Um, yeah. And then just, just hearing individual stories, um, of, of people being affected or their lives being lost and children being affected and brutalized in different ways through violence or rape or other things. Uh, they're just watching what's happening to the city of Mariupol. That's just been absolutely bombarded by, by bombing and missiles and, um, Russian military in the city and around the city besieged and them not letting people out or shooting at people trying to evacuate and keeping humanitarian aid from getting in. And now people are several, you know, hundreds of soldiers and civilians, wounded soldiers even are trapped in this as of stall steel plant and have no very little food and water. And they're still getting bombed and, and Putin and the Kremlin and the Russian military will not let any aid to them. Um, Putin said basically they're not going to let a fly get in or out Um, it's just infuriating absolutely infuriating Um, you know our our mom mentioned to me uh, not too long ago she said this is kind of the first war that you've really seen intimately play out in your lifetime there have been other wars and you know um, the Iraq war, Afghanistan war, and, and many others throughout the world that America was or wasn't involved in. But this, this, she's right in a sense, this really is the first one that I've really tracked with this closely, let alone had social media, 
you know, I didn't even have a smartphone until 2015. Uh, so now it's in the palm of my hand and I can, I can and do it way too often, just scroll through Twitter or occasionally check, you know, news sites and just see update after update after update after update of atrocities and, and things like that. So I think I, I don't really know how to s- say it much more eloquently, but th- this just, just hit me hard. Um, and from the very beginning was the question, God, why would you allow this? Uh, partly because I'm, I guess I'm just more aware of it. You know, the atrocities have been happening, as you mentioned, throughout my lifetime previous and, and still happening in other parts of the world. Uh, but this one was just in front of my face. And I, I just, in a sense, it's not like I had some sort of magical empathetic power, but I, I just, I just had us had a little bit of a connection or inkling to say, this is, this is what's actually going to happen. These are lives that are going to be lost. Um, it's not like I, you know, I'm envisioning myself being struck by a, a bullet or a bomb or, you know, being in a, in a, in some home or basement being brutalized and raped by certain Russian soldiers. Um, but, but I can see an image of a child suffering or, or killed or a family killed and, 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 and know that that should, shouldn't happen to anyone and, and know that I have, I have children the same age or I have family or, or friends and, um, it just was all much more immediate and, and then at different times when I, when, when certain aspects of the, the brutality of the invasion just hit me harder. In fact, that even happened today. Um, it really, it really just drove that question to the forefront, you know, God, I believe in you. I know that you are God and I am not, you are the creator of the world. You are all powerful. Um, I believe that you are a good God, a loving God. You do not ultimately want evil to happen, uh, to any part of your creation, human or otherwise, but certainly human. Um, I know that there must be reasons why you have allowed it to happen in the past and might be allowing it to happen now. But if you are like me, God, and you see this level of evil and suffering, and you see not just the, all the statistics, which kind of blur together, and you, you almost get overwhelmed and numb to them, but you see each and every isolated incidence of suffering. And I tried to wrestle with that in the second episode of mm-hmm. just a single person being driven from their home. Um, and I apologize for going on way too long yet again. I'll wrap it up here in a second, but a single person being or single family being forced from their home and who knows when they'll be able to get back or if that home will still exist. Yeah. I've, I've seen images of basically shelled out homes where, that people have returned to or a single person losing their life or losing their loved one, uh, a single child being victimized or forced to experience this and watch something like, like the five-year-old I, I heard about who basically watched his mother starve to death. Um, God sees each and every instance of that. And then the lifetime of, of sorrow and PTSD post-traumatic that can, that can follow, you know, in each and every case for the, for the people who are lucky enough to survive with their life. Um, I know that he sees that he's omniscient. He he's all knowing, 
if I can barely tolerate and not understand and, and say, hey, this should not happen to a single soul, let alone tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, the gosh, 7 million plus people, I think, that have been forced out of Ukraine at one point or another. Um, you know, how, how in the world does, I think I've mentioned this, how does he live with himself? You know, like, I'm not saying that he is, is not ultimately God or, or handling this the wrong way. I'm not quite that bold or um, deluded or whatever to, to say that, but why would he let this continue to play out? Why would he not do more to stop it? And we see instances where it seems like he has helped. You know, if again, Ukraine was expected to be steamrolled and Kiev, the, the capital was expected to be taken within a matter of two or three days. And that definitely did not happen. In fact, they pushed the Russian forces away from Kiev, but the Russian forces left uh, brutality behind. People shot in the head, hundreds of people, mass graves. That's still happening in Mariupol. So it's this tension between thanking God for the victories and for how he has preserved the country of Ukraine and many people there and continues to and other countries, uh, Europe, European countries and America coming, Canada, many others coming to the aid, helping Ukraine. I'm sure God's hand has been in that. And you hear in individual cases where God has protected people or certain bombs that have not exploded, you know, when they, when they landed or things like that. Um, but it, it just, uh, just viscerally brought this question back to the surface is like each and every instance, let alone the, just the, the collective invasion itself, you know, God theoretically could have stopped or he, he could send his avenging angel, you know, the, I was just reading, um, uh, you know, the passage in Exodus about the, 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 the Israelites going through the Red Sea and God describes God's, you know, his pillar of fire or the cloud uh, in front leading the Israelites and blocking them, going in between them and the Egyptians. And then it references, I forget the exact reference, but his angel kind of stepping in and um, guarding them as well. I think, hey, God, this is this is the time to trot that person out, you know, uh, just wipe this, not just wick, you know, just absolute wickedness, vile barbarity off the face of the planet. Um, and then I'm reminded, you know, that God is patient and not willing that any should not, you know, not come to him. And um, sorry, I've, I've gone on for way too long, but I just keep batting around those different truths, those different realities in my head. And um, it, I just don't always know quite where to land with all of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th I think in a way we're not supposed to land with some of those. Sure. I think um, to have any kind of other reaction, um, to this kind of evil uh, would be insufficient. And, you know, I've, I've been, been thinking about this, um, been thinking about what it means to move into wholeness as a person, um, as we become more like 
Christ. Um, it seems to me that that would entail um, feeling things more, actually, not having a better grip on things necessarily or understanding them better, but having a heart that's growing softer and softer to the plight of others. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, this is this is a little bit of, of a tangent, um, and this kind of goes what, to what you were saying, uh, I think, in the second episode, talking about God's care for people. Um, I had kind of an interesting experience when um, Evie, my first daughter, um, when Micah was pregnant with her, um, you know, I was in a very different place in my life at the time. Um, but, um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say that spiritually I was, I was doing all that great. But um, I had the kind of the weirdest thing happen, at least for me, it was weird. Um, and the only, the only way I know how to describe it is that I felt some, at some point during that pregnancy, it felt like my heart had actually grown. Um, it had sort of suddenly expanded to accommodate a third person, um, the capacity to love a th uh, another person um, intimately. And I wasn't e expecting that. Um, I just kind of felt it happen. Um, and it made me, I've been reflecting on that because it made me really think about, about God and his care for individual lives, as, as you were saying, you know, the heart of God is, is large enough to incorporate every single person who has ever been. Um, and so the, the depth of his love as well as the depth of his pain over everything going on um, is, is just unfathomable. And, and, and I think you mentioned this as well, that, you know, you, I think you acknowledged um, at one point that God's, God's suffering in this, it must be beyond, you know, what, whatever is happening in our own hearts as we react to scenes um, like what we see on the news. And that to him, these lives are not statistics. Um, but I, I think part of growing in his image is, is developing a deeper and deeper compassion uh, for others and a desire for God's justice yeah, that was well said. Um, and I think that's kind of what, I, what I'm thinking of when I say, or at least a good chunk of what I, when I say, God, how do you live with yourself if, if we know that you, you hurt with the hurting, suffer you know, with, with the suffering and the broken, um, and then you multiply that times how many billions of people on the planet or even just the 40 million people of Ukraine um, as, as you mentioned, just an absolute staggering burden. Uh, yeah. And I think 
the, the problem, you know, we started this, this episode kind of discussing a theoretical problem of exactly. Yeah. Of pain and evil. And, you know, there, there are, there are pretty easy ways to kind of answer it theoretically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I hadn't mentioned this earlier, but, but right off the bat to, to assume that, that to have, to be holding God to a standard, we already betray the fact um, that goodness comes from somewhere. Sure. If, if that makes standard. sense that w- yeah. we get, we get our sense of justice from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously we know that it comes from him. Um, so our understanding yeah, it's 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 derivative, and so in a sense, it's it, it doesn't it doesn't work for us to hold God to the to the standard um, of Himself. <laughs> you know, it's it's a weird way of saying that, but um, but there, there's kind of a there's a you know if you're thinking theoretically and logically, like there's a real contradiction in 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 saying telling God that He's not acting good. Um, <laughs> you know, for, for us to be saying that to him, because there is, there is no higher standard to which he subjects himself. Um, but, but, but all that to say is, you know, the, what's really, I think going on in your heart and in my heart and in the hearts of all these people, and, and especially the Ukrainians is, is the experience of evil and pain and suffering. And that's the most universal, that is, that is the one universal experience that everyone has. Um, there are a lot of people who don't experience kindness <laughs> um, or mercy uh, from, from other human beings on this earth, but everyone, everyone has an experience of suffering. And if, if they haven't, it's just a matter of time. Right. Uh, and for some people, it's more profound than others, of course. And now we're, we're witnessing people who are going through um, a, a, a very intense uh, unimaginable to us experience of evil. And I'm sure it's, it's still unimaginable to them as they're going through it. Yeah. Good point. Um, and the answer to that question, you know, that's, that's really what we're searching for is the answer to the experience um, of evil is, is what, what to, what do we do with that? Um, and, and no, I don't think, I don't think theor- theoretical questions can provide any solace there or theoretical answers. Um, they, they won't satisfy the question of the experience of suffering. Um, as, as Lewis said um, in the problem of pain, as, as we'll get to at some point in his introduction, I don't remember the exact quote, but he, you know, he was basically setting up the book saying, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this from a pretty, you know, highbrow level, but he himself acknowledged that um, that n- none of this goes so far as a little bit of courage, yeah, um, yeah, or, or encouragement from someone else, and certainly none of that goes as far as even the smallest tincture of God's God's love in the midst of suffering. Yeah. 
Um, so he's yeah, talking so about he's talking about um, experiences of courage and love in the midst of suffering as as the ultimate and real answer to um, to that question. Yeah, I, I just found the quote actually. He thanks. He says, "I uh, was never fool enough to suppose myself qualified." Uh, basically, I think to discuss or, you know, teach on the subject of the problem of pain or the problem of evil. Nor have I anything to offer my readers except my conviction that when pain is to be borne, a little courage helps more than much knowledge, a little human sympathy more than much courage, and the least tincture of the love of God more than all. Yeah, so you, you, you pretty much nailed it. I think you had some excellent points there. Um, and one thing I think we'll definitely come back to is what, it, what what is the nuts and bolts of a response to this? And it's it's to be present with people, to help them in some way with their suffering, to, you know, to be the tangible uh, presence of, of, of God and of Christ in, in a, a human, small human way finite human way, you know, for, for another, for each other. Uh, I think that deserves a lot more discussion. Um, but I would push back a little bit on, I, I guess that's been part of this experience for me is, is that the, the more theoretical questions or the question, uh, you know, God, why do you allow certain aspects of evil or suffering? to have, you know, been initiated at all, let alone to continue in the way that they are, say, in a situation such as Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine. Um, they have been pressing, so pressing for me at times, again, not in a faith-shattering way, although if, if I was experiencing them, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, it might 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 be more, more along those lines. Um, but... I think you're very right to say we we're not going to get to the bottom of that. Uh, uh, we uh, to kind of to figure out how that works that God can be all powerful, all good, and still allow evil in general, or let alone certain cases, instances of evil. But so so we might we may not you know p put that jigsaw together perfectly or very well at all. There might be a lot of pieces missing. But on the other hand, if we leave, I'm being a little a little cliche here. If we leave too many of the pieces out, we we could have some gaping holes in our understanding and in our our trust in God. For instance, you know, if someone overemphasized God's sovereignty to his love, you might say, Hey, well, yeah, God is God. He can, he can allow whatever he wants uh, for whatever purpose he wants. And if that happens to involve suffering of people or millions of people, so be it. Um, that's kind of a crass way of putting it, but that could be one, you know, more extreme way of, of, of framing it. And then you might have a person who largely believes that or is okay with that until suffering actually confronts them personally. Uh, or through a tragedy like this, and there's like I, I I simply I don't like that kind of God. I can't I can't trust that kind of God. You know. Um. So. 
it, it is a difficult tension to, to uh, uh, same with what you mentioned about holding God to his own standard. God sets the standard and we, we trust that he's internally consistent, right? You know, he, he's always going to do the right thing in the right way at the right time. And he, he's in that sense, he's unchangeable. He, he is always going to be perfect in every way, you know, in his, his proactivity and his response and everything in between is, is going to be perfectly for the good. Um, and we're never going to really fully grasp that, or it's, it's a lack of knowledge, you know, that, 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 that doesn't let us see all the different factors and, and things in play. Um, but on the other hand, we do, we do need to hold God to that standard because he, he sets the standard. And so we don't understand how he's, he's operating in that internally consistent way uh, in every situation or many situations. But, we should hold him to his own standard in some sense. I, I, am I making sense? I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I, I think I'm just saying that I think you had a lot of really valid points of emphasis, and, and yet they can still be sort of pressing um, dilemmas for us uh, uh, as, uh, as we work through the, the faith questions here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've, you know, I have several thoughts as you were talking. Um, I think um, holding God to, in a, in a sense, holding God to his own standard or, or crying out in um, fr- no, frustration is the wrong word, in despair even. Sure. Crying out in, aff- in affliction, you know, that's, that's something that you see a lot, for instance, in the Psalms. And that's that reaction to that experience of suffering. Um, and I was, I was trying to find this. I wasn't able to. My, my favorite um, living apologist today is um, Professor John Lennox. Um, and he was sure. debating someone. It, it may have been Christopher Hitchens or, you know, one of the, the new atheists possibly. Um, and they, they used as an argument against, um, I don't know exactly what the debate point was, but against the existence of a good God, um, they, they talked about bone cancer in children. And just as an, ex- yeah. as an example, sure. they couldn't understand why a God like that would allow such a thing as bone cancer in young children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, John Lennox, he got up and he, I don't remember this word for word. It's been several years since I've seen it. He admitted that the suffering of children um, was something that he didn't understand himself. Um, and there, there was no, no real, there was no real answer to it that could be stated. Um, but what he offered is that the God that we know, he came and entered into human suffering himself and saw it all the way to its conclusion. Um, he didn't, he didn't distance himself from our suffering, but entered right, right into it. 
Um, and the more I think about that, the, the more it seems to me that looking to the cross and the suffering of Christ, it's, it seems to be the only real way, the, the only possible way out of this. Out, not Maybe out of it's the wrong way. It's, it seems to be the only way through this, through suffering. Um, you know, we, we talk of Jesus as being a man of many sorrows and, you know, thinking about the, the suffering servant song in Isaiah 53, um, it talks about the suffering that this servant of God, who we know to be Jesus, the, the suffering that he would undergo, but it talks about him coming out through it on the other end. Um, in fact, I, I looked it up earlier and I have the verse in front of me. It, it says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Um, and that's just one of the verses that talks about that. And, and that seems to be kind of the recurring theme that I've found throughout scripture is, is not that God, it's, 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 it's that God remembers us. It's not that we, we don't suffer and uh, perish in a way, or, or literally, <laughs> but, but God does not forget. Um, and of course, you know, we, we know about a, um, much talk and uh, theology about a, a future judgment in which all, all people will be held accountable for whatever, whatever has happened. But um But all that to say is, I think the suffering of Jesus is is the only is the only way through um, our own suffering. Um, and it, it's not that it's it's not that it prevents our suffering, but it 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 transforms it. It can transform it into a way that it actually serves a purpose rather than becomes needless suffering or, or suffering in vain. Does that make a shred of sense? Yeah, it, it does. I've, I've heard other people suggest the same and I, I think it is incredibly valid and, the, and you, you, you articulated it very well. And there are times when it hits me that, you know, God himself uh, ent entered into the suffering of his own creation he felt it intimately and th some of the worst possible forms of it uh in in the the life and the you know crucifixion of christ and overcame it in the resurrection uh, so we can never say god is not with us in the suffering and there are times uh, i think that that stands out to me a little more than others. And there's other times when it, it just doesn't seem to, if I'm being honest, doesn't seem to have the same comfort to it. It probably should have. When I, when I, if I were to just stop and say, Hey God, God could have abandoned us to our own devices, but he didn't, you know, then I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And we, the new Testament tells us, uh, the Psalms tell us that God is intimately concerned with, with every detail of our life, both good and bad. And he, Emmanuel, God is with us. Um, again, there are times that sort of does 
comfort me. And then there's other times when it, it doesn't quite as much as it could or should. Um, but you're right. I think that is a, a huge part of the, the discussion and whatever solution, quote unquote, there is to that. One thing I find myself asking, thinking about the people of Ukraine, and sometimes even with respect to, you know, praying for your enemy and God not, not wanting anyone to perish, whether Russian or Ukrainian, whether the aggressor or the victim here, you know, and I think I, I try to pray that God, you know, the Russians who don't want to be involved in this onslaught, get them out of there safely, you know, protect them if you can, bring them to repentance, protect them, get them out of there. And if they don't, you know, remove them, uh, incapacitate them, paralyze them, uh, disable them, uh, destroy them. If, if there, there is, if, if there, if, you know, they're, they're, so even in that same tension of, you know, vic victimized versus, uh, um, uh, perpetuator of the crime, uh, it's, it's same thing, um, with, uh, you know, God, God cares about both, both ends of, ends of that equation. But if he saves the life of a Russian soldier who then takes the lives of Ukrainian civilians or soldiers, those Ukrainians, they may not be, you know, what we would consider a believing people of faith, believing Christians. Um, so where is the ultimate good for them? You know, where is the heaven, the sort of recompense, the 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 blessing on the other side, the of all this? Um, that's a struggle when I think of um, those who don't, even by their own admission, don't consider themselves uh, to be, you know, people of Christ, people of God by faith. So um, that's that that part of it's a struggle as well, um, and I, I don't think we could explore or really come to grips with that you know, in, in a single episode, let alone many, but that, that's another facet of that, I think. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think what you said was, was excellent and a huge part of this discussion, hopefully going forward as well. But sometimes it, it, again, it just doesn't quite comfort me as much as it probably should. Yeah. Well, this has been a great start uh, to to an ongoing conversation that we'll be having, and as we explore um, uh, more of C.S. Lewis's "A Problem of Pain" as well, I did have one question that uh, well, I had a couple other points, but one that I wanted to just ask uh, before we close is maybe of each of us: um, Has there been a time in your life when the problem of pain, problem of evil, has really hit you um, harder, um, wh wh whether it was your own suffering or suffering you observed in someone else or, you know, a, a national or, or global international situation such as Ukraine. Um, just curious to, to know if, if anything comes to mind. Are you asking me spe specifically or for the, uh, the general audience? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you don't, yeah, I should have qualified that. You don't have okay. to, uh, you don't have to get into all the, uh, the, uh, dirty laundry or the intimate, uh, you know, secrets of, of anyone's life that you don't want to, of course, this is going out to millions of people. So let's be careful what we say. Oh, right, but, right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
but no, no, whatever you feel, was there even just a season, a general season where you just were more impacted, uh, again, whether personally or just observing, you know, evil in the world or in, and maybe someone close to you, you know, suffering of some kind where you just sort of felt weighed down by the question more, more so than, than, than other times in your life. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I, I guess overall, I, I've seen myself as being very fortunate. Um, I don't, I have not undergone the kind of suffering I've, I've known some other people to have undergone. I, I haven't lost a child, um, you know, a wife. Um, and so, you know, there, there have been, of course, times of personal suffering, although I, I see those more as having been self-inflicted, which is, which is very different kind of suffering. Um, because it's a kind that, you know, could have been avoided. <laughs> yeah, I can um, relate to that. But, um, I, I have, I've, I've always been very, I don't know if interested is the right word. I've always been drawn to um, studying certain periods of human suffering. Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, I've, I've studied um, different aspects of the Holocaust, um, especially surrounding a particular transit camp that was in Holland where, where we grew up, although I wasn't right. aware of it at the time. Yeah, interesting. Um, And, um, and so I've, I've thought about this and imagined, um, the, I've imagined the types of, tried to imagine the types of situation that we're now starting to actually see unfold in Ukraine uh, for, you know, for quite a long time. Hmm. And maybe that comes from just having lived in Holland and having been so close to that, that World War II history there. Sure. Um, because to me, it seems to me what happened there was the most unimaginable thing possible. Yeah. And it's like certain things are almost like a limit case in malevolence. They're almost, um, it seems to have, it seems to be as far as it could have gone. And you can't imagine how it could have possibly have gotten worse. Yeah. And I think it's important. It's, I felt it important to, to really just spend time looking at it and thinking about it and wondering about myself, um, what part I would have played in any of that. Um, and maybe that's the question for us t today with the Ukraine situation. I mean, uh, you know, we are, there's not a lot we can do directly, many of us. Um, we just haven't been put in that, you know, God God chose us for our particular time and place. Um, and so in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, for many of us, our hands are tied when it comes to the people in Ukraine, as far as, as, far as helping them physically. Um, you know, maybe not. Uh, and there would be ways I would like to try to help what's going on over there um, besides prayer. 
Um, but yeah, this is just some things I've always been, I've always thought about. Um, and so I, I guess that wasn't much of a personal example of, of suffering. No, it was great. Um, I think I think that was that was definitely a solid option I, to I, share. Yeah, I just think I just think these aren't things that we we should shy away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have said the same thing up until and probably even still the Ukraine crisis in Ukraine hasn't turned into the the genocide of millions of Jews and and other Europeans as well. I, I should know my history better than I do and the details of it. Uh, that, that was one of the most horrific things that ever happened. Um, I, there's probably other historians that would challenge us uh, for, from other periods of time. But you're right, the Holocaust has, has always been in my mind just an almost un, unfathomable um, use of the limit of evil. Uh, so it's really interesting that you brought that up. I appreciate that you did. Something else occurred to me that I, you know, you and others, uh, but uh, ha- have been more comfortable sort of exploring the, that subject, those types of subjects. Whereas I, I and up until the last couple of months could barely think about those things for any length of time without just sort of, you know, just, it was just getting overloaded. And here I am getting more comfortable with seeing dead bodies pop up in my Twitter feed, uh, whether Russian or Ukrainian or civilian, and hearing, you know, absolute horrific stories. Um, and, abs- and in a sense, just becoming more comfortable is not the right word, but just more familiarized with that and having to face it head on. There's probably some of that that's that's good for me as well the type of suffering that that i have been more comfortable with often in ways that you know others many others are not i've gotten the sense and i've had you know others say to me at times is just kind of the internal world of of suffering and struggle and that honestly was probably my biggest um, wrestling with the problem of evil the problem of suffering um and my time in college, so especially the second half of college, and then the first year or two out were a very, very difficult time for me personally. And the book that I wrote um, in uh, the 2002, which was, uh, I think I finished it during that year, and that was just a year or so removed from college, although the book itself, it's called The Delicate Fade, uh, didn't come out until 2004, but I was just pulled that off the shelf today for the first time in a while. I thought uh, it's it's uh, not all that well written in some respects, and not something I can uh, immediately relate to in in other respects. But it was interesting to just skim through the first chapter, a couple chapters, and um, I came across a passage uh, that was kind of describing. The, the chapter, the second chapter is actually called Sorrow. And um, 
I, I came across this section I wrote in it uh, that kind of just just as an example of kind of what was really hitting me hard at the time, and and you know has hit me hard at times since, but but never quite maybe to the same breadth or, or depth as as at that point. Uh, but I wrote, uh, I never really questioned the sovereignty of God. I never thought that his reach was somehow cut short or that he became helpless at a certain point. But it would have been easier to believe this. I did question God's goodness and whether he would ever be good to me. Sometimes I still do. Uh, it's easy to doubt when his presence is never seen except in everything that hurts. And a, little, a couple sentences down, I wrote, it's awkward to question God or be angry with him when we've been taught never to do this because it would distance us from him. You never know when he might walk away for good. But it's not so hard when God is absent to begin with. And I hear a voice inside me say that as much as I've disappointed him, I know I could never have deserved this. It isn't so difficult to be angry when God is made to be the cause of all things, because whether he created all things or just allows them to happen, you feel the same pain and the same betrayal when everything good is taken away and replaced with everything dead and dying. And this is all I was left with, and mostly myself. In reading back over that, it sounds... Uh, rather grandiose and all-encompassing and, you know, in all honesty, probably more typical of my, my age and maturity at the time, early 20s. But that's that's how I felt a good chunk of that time and, and the depth of kind of what I was going through internally, uh, whether from immaturity or uh, actual struggle and, and psychological struggle, uh, depression, sin, a mixture of all those things, circumstances, difficult circumstances. Um, that was a, a large chunk of my reality back then. And it is also interesting to think that I, I largely wrote that from the idea that God, God either causes everything to happen, or I don't know if I think I would have said that, but he explicitly allows everything to happen. So everything can be traced back to him. So where, you know, where his, his goodness and that, that was th the real dilemma for me. Um, it was more of the sort of Calvinist um, or, you know, reformed perspective in that sense. And my one, you know, form of resolution, as we kind of said much earlier in this discussion today of thinking about Ukraine or anything else that involves evil and, and suffering is, uh, especially evil inflicted by you know humans upon other humans um, or demonic forces upon humans or angelic forces um, is just is, is, the, is the, the only the only thing that even begins to make sense to me is, is as you mentioned earlier is free will and that God must be self-limiting in some way, not anything less than omnipotent and all-powerful, but that he limits himself, out of respect and deference to free will, to human free will. And you still have a host of questions, you know, as we talked about a little bit to, to work through after that, and most of them probably won't be thoroughly worked through. Um, but I, I think my, my perspective has definitely changed in the intervening years. And I, I don't know that I would have made it much longer faith-wise uh, if I retained the former perspective, you know, whatever that was or amounted to, um, it's actually this, this acknowledgement of free will and just how incredibly valuable that is to God that 
in a sense, kind of keeps me afloat a little bit. I don't don't understand it. Doesn't make it easier in a lot of senses. And I'm also starting to wonder, you know, does does God, like you said, what what is our participation in this? Is God is God waiting for us to to bang on the doors of heaven when, in prayer? You know, to be that persistent widow saying, you know, I'm, I'm asking you. I asked you to help out Mariupol. I asked you yesterday. I asked you the week before. I'm asking you today. You know, show up. Uh, what would it take for you to show up? You know, there's a fine line between disrespect and um, and just believing in faith and and living with the Trinity and 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 maybe God's saying, hey, um, you know, you let's you you can you can boldly approach the throne of grace. You know, watch your language, which I struggle with sometimes, and when I'm praying and angry in this way, but um, but yeah, be bold, you know, and. So, so many, you know, things to wrestle with, work through from there. But it, yeah, I really appreciate what you shared about the Holocaust. And in and, and some very scary respects, there have been intimations of that or, or echoes of that in what's been going on in Ukraine. Did you have any final thoughts you wanted to share before we bring this to a close? Oh, I'm sure I do, but... Uh... But maybe I'll save them for next time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call a tease in the business, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. Stay um, tuned. Stay tuned, yes. Uh, next time we will be working through uh, the preface, uh, just a page or two, and then the first two chapters of Lewis's The Problem of Pain. So if you have any desire to read along with us, uh, hopefully we'll get that episode a, a week, week and a half, something like that. Um, uh, after after this first one goes up, uh, I'm going to need to edit it and get another one. I just recorded up first, but um, you're definitely welcome to. Or if you just want to listen to us kind of ramble our way through uh, the, the chapters and any rabbit trails that they afford, um, that's totally fine as well. Um, Josh, I can't thank you enough for for joining me. It's been awesome to have a dialogue partner instead of you know bleeding on uh, just in a monologue for half an hour. Or so, <laughs> although I, I, well, I thanks for having me. The, yeah, <laughs> thank you. It's, uh, you had a a lot of uh, very helpful, um, uh, eloquent things to add to the discussion. So I appreciate that. Uh, the the check will be in the mail, but if you could, don't cash it for a few weeks. <laughs> um, so. And I, I had my notes up. I don't think there was anything else I wanted to add before closing, but thank you to everyone who uh, listened and listened this far into the episode. Uh, very much hope that you'll join us for the, the f- future conversations to come on this subject. And uh, I will share uh, the link to a couple things we discussed in the show notes. And one of them will actually be, as Josh mentioned, um, there are there are people helping in, in the situation, uh, Samaritan's Purse and other organizations you've heard of. And I've referred to Pastor Genady Meknenko, uh, who is from Riopol originally and uh, with his colleagues is, is providing aid. I'm not sure that they're able to get into Mariupol much anymore, but still constantly working on behalf of the Ukrainians to get aid and help to them. So I will try to share a link to his important work and how you can donate uh, to that as well. So again, thanks, Josh, and thanks to everyone who listens, uh, that listened, and God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon.